What's up, Internet? You're tuned in episode 32 of the Flip Screen Games Podcast, a weekly video game podcast where two best buds from different nations come together to discuss the wide, wide world of video games. I'm your host, Pete and Bessie, joined as always by my very good friend and co-host, Mr. Stephen Radford. Hello, hello. Hello, oh my gosh. You're, you had a big old delay there. I just, hello, hello. Yeah, oh, big oh. delay. It's like, now you're back is in sync, so, but for a so second bad? it was like when you watch like the old dubs of like Godzilla movies, you know, like <laughs> mm. just an insane amount of mouth movement and then, <laughs> oh no. <laughs> now I might fake it throughout the rest of the show and see if you clock on. Like I'll just be like, yeah, like this. That's good. Just completely throw me off my game. That's what I need. <laughs> Keep me on my toes. Oh, man. Uh, so on this week's show, we've got some fun topics for you. Uh, we're going to be chatting a little bit about exclusives and uh, kind of, I guess, the state of exclusives in 2022. We got a, a couple questions uh, from the, the question block that inspired the main topic this week. And I think it's going to be a pretty good one. You know, as we see a lot of, um, you know, console manufacturers right xbox and playstation namely kind of moving towards you know considering how they can leverage their games in other places right um or even seeing you know nintendo expand into the mobile space a couple years ago there is that question of you know are are exclusive something that are gonna persist uh forever right um and as we move towards a more cloud-based future all those kinds of things i think there's a lot of interesting questions in terms of what is the value of exclusives and you know how much will they be a factor going forward um but aside from that we also got the reveal of a brand new game from supermassive uh which is apparently a until dawn spiritual successor called the quarry so we're going to talk all about both of those things today uh it's going to be a a big old meaty one but before we get into that let me remind you that this episode of the flip screen games podcast is brought to you by our patreon producers for the month of march they are of course christian oliveria christopher valens gabriel hasselmeyer aka sobi mary berry smoky shake wakahula and zade ida thank you all so much for your support over on patreon.com slash flip screen games y'all are the realest of the real and we appreciate your support of this fine program speaking of there's a bunch of ways that you can show your support for the flip screen games podcast and all the stuff we do here at flip screen games did you know we have a weekly nintendo podcast called nintendo noise maybe you only listen to this show go check it out man it's a great show all right we do that show every week with chewy we talk about nintendo it's a great time but you know even if that's not your bag, there's a lot of other good content that we do, right? We've got our Patreon exclusive podcast, One More Thing, where we talk about what's going on in our lives outside the world of video games. Sometimes we rank candy bars. We find out a lot about the differences between America and the UK. It's all kinds of good stuff. Great conversations to be had over there. Uh, of course, we've got our Twitch channel, where I, I, I used to say every Wednesday and Thursday, but now it's like almost every day we're live. We're just streaming video games all the time over there. So go check it out. Go uh, give us a follow so that you know when we go live. Um, like I said, a bunch of ways that you can get some other content from us. Uh, and, of course, a bunch of ways you can show your support, even if you don't have any money to toss our way. Give us a like. Give us a subscribe if you're watching on YouTube. Rate the show wherever you listen to it on audio platforms. Write into the show by writing into us at questions at flipscreen.games. Joining the Discord. Hitting us up on Twitter. However you choose to engage with the show, we appreciate you. And you can find links to all of those things on our website, flipscreen.games. Go ahead over there and check it out. So, uh, before we get into both of those main topics here, we'll talk a little bit about what we're playing this week. You know, I think 
it's pretty obvious, right? We're still kind of chipping away at the same couple games uh, between Horizon mm-hmm. and Elden Ring. Uh, I thought just the thing I wanted to bring up a little bit about Elden Ring, and I promise we won't talk about it too much because it's been like the last three weeks on this podcast. It's just Elden Ring talk. But it's been everywhere. It's not just hey, I like yeah, it. right. I mean, you can't you can't blame us. Everywhere. It's the game of the moment. Um, but I thought it was interesting to see a little bit of news uh, making the rounds today. There is a big uh, patch update that just came to the game, and it added a bunch of different uh, functionality. Some of it is just kind of like you know, like bug fixes and things like that. Um, but there, some there's like added background music in like this one open field area so there's like a lot of different kinds of changes but the one that it's the balance stuff that's more important i think to anyone right it's right stuff like some of the best weapons have been nerfed debuffed. and like it's you know some people are happy some people are sad some things are better some people some things are worse there's new quests added which is crazy to me that there's a lot of new content being added into the game already yeah, so there's there's a good amount of there, and there's a good amount of variance between what has come to the game. But one of the big changes that made a lot of uh, made for a lot of conversation today was uh, the added function to have an icon that records the name of an NPC on the map whenever you encounter them. So Which this, I'm sorry. Which is great. It's really yeah, cool. yeah. This is great. I mean, this is something that that you and I had both expressed. Um, wanting in the game, right? And not, you know, and having that dialogue about kind of like, what does that mean, right? Because there's, I think, a lot of people who have written off anybody who wants that as being like, the game is supposed to be hard, you're supposed to feel lost, like, you're supposed to keep a notebook, you know, like, if you can't handle that, then it's not for you, and like, this very kind of immediately dismissing even the notion of that idea, right? And the kind of memifying it, and, you know, that, oh, what if Elden Ring was made by Ubisoft screenshot that was going around, that kind of thing. And then the other side of it, right, was kind of, I think, people using things like that as a way to dismiss Elden Ring, right? And write it off um, without even engaging with the game. So, you know, a lot of conversation around it, right? Obviously, this change is a pretty big one. And I've seen people say that apparently this was intended at launch and the functionality just didn't work. So that led to a lot of people kind of dunking on folks who are talking about, you know, kind of like how, oh, this is the vision of From Software and like this is how it's supposed to be and this is how Souls games are. Whereas this was something that was apparently intended from the get-go and just didn't make it across the finish line before that day one patch. So uh, what did you make of this, Steve? Did you... I, I thought it was just interesting to see the conversation crop up more than anything. What was your reaction to the news? I, I think it's good. You know, I think the the person that really spawned that whole narrative before was Jason Schreier with the whole keep a journal thing, right? And 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 everyone was so, oh, we'll play video games, not homework. And... Um, <laughs> I uh, I saw that he was really happy about this as well, and I think it's it's not a fundamental change. You can add an icon to the map anyway to show where people are. This just puts the per- the person's name next to that icon. It's really not a massive difference. But rather than having to remember, oh, Patches is in this place, or this merchant's in this place, or uh, Rani the witch is up in this tower, you don't have to remember those things. You can now just put a marker on the map and it puts the the name of the person next to it it's just a nice quality of life change i don't think it fundamentally changes the game i don't think it's anything like having a quest log it doesn't 
I think the reason the quest log isn't there is it doesn't want to be a game like a Horizon where it's just like, now go here, now do this, now, you know, it's not holding your hand. It wants that sense of exploration. It very much has that same feeling of, I think, a similar structure to Breath of the Wild, except Breath of the Wild maybe holds your hand a little bit more and shows you exactly where to go, which is go take on these these three big enemies and puzzles and then when you're done with that, go to this final place and take on the super big enemy. And that's kind of how Elden Ring feels. It's like, go take on all the demigod bosses, like Godric and uh, Radan. And when you're done with those, go to the capital, storm the building, and take on the final boss. And um, I, I'm happy with that structure. I'm fine with it. And I love the sense of exploration the game gives me. But I very much was turning to wikis to find out where certain people were. And if I don't have to do that, because the game allows me to write down where their name on the map, I'm really glad about that. Yeah, to me, this is, <clears throat> I, I think, like, the argument that's kind of developed around this is, like, what frustrates me about discourse on the internet, right, in general, and just the way that people talk about art, where it's, like, everything has to be all or nothing, right? Like, there's no, like, room for a conversation there, and that's annoying, because I think, like, I've been arguing for this functionality from the beginning, where, like, I think this is something that, like, just should exist, right? Where, like excuse me, where I, I don't think it's fun in any way to make it where it's like, you just have to memorize every single thing that you come across, right? Like that's, I don't, I don't think that that's like, I don't know. Which I, don't, I think would be fine if the game was 20 hours long and that's sure. like part of it. It's remembering where it is. It's a smaller map and you haven't really got to worry about it. But when the game is like 90 to 100 hours long, I guess all Jason tried tweeting about it. it took him 96 hours to beat the game. And I know he's familiar with Souls games. He's played them before. For a normal person, no one can, like, you can't remember that. You can't remember where everything is and what to do and where to go. It's, it's impossible, especially when some of the later quests tell you to go back to people and, and buy items from them or merchants or whatever. Um, so it's just a nice, it's just a nice to have, really. I'm glad it's there, but, it, you know, the community serviced the problem anyway with the wikis and the interactive maps and things of the spawn online. Right. And I think that's something that I, I don't know. I, I guess I, I find kind of frustrating, right. Where it's like the idea that, I don't know that like if the game has any kind of features like that, that it's somehow uh, not in service of this vision of making it, difficult and you know a game that like you can get lost in and all those kinds of things especially if it was meant to be there at launch like if that rumor is true that it was due to be there or it didn't work how they intended then yeah then obviously the the notion that you know what this this developer or this director's vision was in the first place is kind of a moot point really yeah and and i think i think in general um i i'm really turned off by that kind again by that kind of dialogue where it's like Oh, I can write off any criticism of this game because authorial intent, right? Like, this is what the developer wanted, so that makes it right. And it's like, I I mean, I think there's room for discussion about that too, right? In criticism, right? Like, yeah, that could be the intent. That doesn't mean that it's always effective or anything, right? But then when you come back to this and it's like you have people getting blue in the face arguing on the internet about how, well, this is the intent. And if you don't get it, you know, it's your problem, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And well, it's like, well, I mean, no, but also- the, the initial intent was to have this, right? So like seemingly from the yeah. get-go, this was always what was supposed to have happened. And 
it, it's just kind of funny. It's kind of whack, yeah. It, and it's kind of funny to see arguments like that collapse in on themselves. Um, you know, well, I, I also think that you mentioned authorial intent. I also think the intent of what a critic was saying is also important. Like it's often the case that you'll see straw man arguments brought up and it's like, no, it cl- he clearly didn't mean that when he was saying it. Right. Jason wasn't sure. saying like everyone should keep a diary. Everyone, you know, the game's terrible because it doesn't have a quest log and this and the other. It was just how he decided to play the game and how he enjoyed playing the game. And if that's how he wants to play the game, then fine. Personally, I haven't felt the need to keep a diary. If I'm doing a side quest, what I've been doing is using the map and using the markers that are in the game. And I'll put the marker where the quest started. I'll put another marker where the quest has told me to go. And then I know i got to go back to this place once I've done that side quest. And if I'm just doing the side quest in one play session, it's no problem because I'll just go back to it. If I get sidetracked, then maybe that's when I would need to write it down somewhere. But I think it just depends on on your playstyle and how you want to go in with it. But I, I I really do get bored of of arguments on the internet. It just becomes really tedious, to be honest. People just find any reason to argue about anything, uh, even if they don't don't even care. I can imagine there's tons of people that have never even played Elden Ring that just slight slight the game because it doesn't have a quest log and it's not what they want it to be even though they've never even tried it and they don't know if it would benefit from having a quest log or not yep absolutely something i thought was interesting was um uh there's this uh person on twitter whose name is ian hamilton and they're an accessibility specialist who um their their description on twitter they says help studio helping studios avoid excluding disabled gamers um, and they had a whole thread about this and something that I thought was really funny was you have a lot of like reply guys in the, the things being like, Oh, like, uh, only reason this happened. Here's a, a quote from somebody saying only reason this happened is because of how mainstream the game has become. It's for noobs slash casuals. And every single person who replied with something like that, uh, Ian copy and pasted the same response to them. Um, and it says this feature was present in the network test, but wasn't working properly when the game was released and has now been fixed. Jokes on you, buddy. But if you don't like the developer's vision, maybe the game just isn't for you. Shrug emoji. Not every game can be for everyone. And I just got a kick out of that as like, a- <laughs> yeah, I, I, do, I do appreciate that. I do. I do like that. But, you know, there's something to be said, though. I've seen other another accessibility specialist on on Twitter, I think, talking about it. And I was brought up on triple click by Maddie Myers because she suffers with ADHD and she said she has the opposite problem in other types of games where she is like compelled to tick off those lists Mm -hmm. she like has to do it because otherwise it just she can't stop hyper focusing on on the problem of like ticking off those checklists so not having it in Elden Ring like really kind of helps her yes she can like go from place to place to place and bounce off things but she's able to to kind of not have to concentrate on ticking things off and i can imagine people with ocd it's very much like a compulsion to i've got to complete all of these lists i've got to complete these checklists and if you're that kind of person then then maybe this kind of game is is more suitable to you and i think it's really just different strokes for different folks at the end of the day like yes this kind of thing is very much an accessibility feature and it's nice to have but i don't think it's fundamentally game changing people have been able to complete the game without without needing it yeah i think it's i think it comes down to like making games more convenient for people to play the way they want to play and like us as commentators and players and you know critics or whatever you want to say um 
not caring about how other people play a game. You know, like, I think that that's like the dumbest part of the discourse around Elden Ring is like seeing people being like, oh, like summons aren't the real way to play. If you use magic, that's not the real way. It's like, dude, if it's in the game, like, who cares? Like, and I think when it comes to, you know, accessibility options, right? However you want to define that, the more choice that you as a player have, the better, right? If you have ADHD and having a quest log, like, messes up your ability to enjoy the game, you should be able to toggle it off, right? If you're, I don't know, like, like what if you're a parent and you're playing Elden Ring and you're like, oh, I'm loving this game and I'm playing it. But I want to pulse it. <laughs> yeah, or like, oh, I, but I, or like I didn't have a chance to play the game for a week because my kid got sick and now I don't remember what I was doing and I don't remember where I was the last time I talked to so-and-so NPC or whatever, right? Like, the so idea. That's why, where I think every game should have and we'll go on to in a second, every game should have what Until Dawn had, which is like... The last time you played Dawn. this game. <laughs> and you come on, and you come on, and it gives you like a recap of what happened. Like Fucking, uh, what is it? I think I think it's Fire Red and Leaf Green. There's one Pokemon game that does this, and it's like the best feature ever, where like it has like, it, it's just like, the last time you played, you beat this guy, you caught this Pokemon, you did this. Go ahead. And it's like, oh, fuck, thank it you. It would be like, cool just to have a log of like what you've done and what bosses you've beaten, I guess. But I, I don't know. I, I guess that's the same for any game. Like We've spoken about it before, how I went back to the original Horizon. I just never played the DLC because it came out so far after I'd fallen off that game. I was just like, I can't remember how to play this game. I, I don't remember the controls. Yeah. There wasn't even a place I could go to a refresher. Like, at least in Elden Ring, you can go back to that initial opening cave and do the tutorial again if you want to. Like, if you want to do the, learn the controls again, it'll teach you them, which I actually think is really cool. It's one of the only games I've seen that allows you to go and do a redo a tutorial. Yeah, that's good. So you know, I, I, I just I think with stuff like this, it like it'll it ultimately just comes down to like just giving players more options, right? Like, let me remap mm-hmm. buttons. Let me toggle things on and off of the, you know, the HUD. Like, what, whatever it is, whatever you need to do to get the experience you want to get out of the game should be an option for you, I think. You know, t- within reason, right? Like, not everything can be completely changeable, but I don't know, you look at something like The Last of Us Part Two or, like, Ratchet and Clank and, like, how, oh, yeah, those options how fucking yeah. granular they let you get in terms of the things that you can change. Um, yeah, it's and, like enemies are red, allies are blue. You know, you can do stuff like that where it's like so visually obvious to the player as to what's what. Because, you know, that's something, that's a critique we had of Elden Ring, right? The only way you know if someone's an enemy or a, an ally is to push the right stick in. Or if you struggle to push the right stick in, you might not be able to, to even find out if they are going to attack you or not. Whereas if they instantly had like a red outline or uh and uh, a health bar above them you would know and not every player wants that i don't want that i'm a i'm able-bodied and i am able to push a right stick in but but not everyone is and and it's just about allowing everyone to experience your game no matter what what disabilities they suffer with yeah and like i think i think the maddie example is a really good one that i hadn't considered where it's like what if you're neurodivergent and like it isn't a physical limitation it's like a mental one and it's like oh like this thing keeps interrupting my ability to play the game the way i want to right um it it should be as simple as making that choice for yourself i think um you know again within reason but yeah, so I, I just thought that was interesting. I wanted to chat about it a little bit because, you know, I think that's kind of one of the big arguments around 
Souls games in general, right? Is like they're impenetrable. Oh, that's how they're supposed to be, and uh, you know, and like, and then the the kind of vitriol that comes up between those two camps, right? Um, and I feel like you just have a lot of people talking past each other, not really, mm-hmm. not really trying to have a dialogue about what what does or doesn't work about the game for certain people. Um, and you have this kind of extreme, like it's good or it's shit, and it's like. It's the best game ever. It's the worst game ever. It's like that's that's not valuable or interesting. You know, it's like I think there's a lot more that you can get out of a conversation where, like, even if it's something isn't for you, talking about it can still be interesting. You know, I think anyway. But that's why we have a podcast where we talk about video games every week. So, um, your mileage may vary there. (laughs) All right, so let's jump into the news of Supermassive's latest game. So, of course, if you're not familiar with Supermassive, uh, they are the studio who, you know, I think is probably best known for Until Dawn, PS4 exclusive. It's got that, you know, campy uh, summer horror slasher kind of vibe. It was like starred Hayden P- Panettiere and, and what uh, Rami Malek from like Mr. Robot and all that stuff. And, you know, before they, Mr. Robot, right? His, yeah. He, he got his big break in this game, which is crazy. Yeah. I, maybe the first season of Mr. Robot was out when this came out, but like oh, he was, was not, he was not as popular as he is now. Um, mm-hmm. Fucking Oscar award winner now, right? Holy shit. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, so this is, this was kind of, the game that Supermassive, that's the game that put them on the map, you know? And, like, obviously now they're doing the Dark Picture Anthology stuff with Bandai Namco, and, you know, those have had kind of mixed results, I guess, kind of replicating the Until Dawn formula. Um, but I thought this was... I mean, really, it was... I, I kind of feel like it, it was their diamond in the rough. It put them on the map. It was the game that... They kind of outlined what they wanted to do and where they wanted to go. Prior to that, they'd done like DLC or ports. They were like a support studio mostly. Games. Yeah, they were a support studio for Sony. Like they did the Killzone HD remaster for PS3, and they did DLC for Little Big Planet, and like that was what they were most known for prior to Until Dawn. And since then, like they've they've never been able to recreate the success. Like Hidden Hidden Agenda was was a mess didn't work great could have been to do with the play link stuff and the fact that it crashed all the time (laughs) didn't really i didn't really enjoy that game uh and then they did like some vr games and obviously the dark picture anthologies have really been a mixed bag i enjoy them but they are not but they're hit or miss games yeah they're not they're not the critical darling that until dawn was some people have said that uh what is it the ash the latest one house of ashes that that is Mm -hmm. on that par but we haven't we haven't tried that one yet so um, jury's out on that one, but I thought this was interesting, right? Cause it's like, there was, um, and I, you know, I'll show the trailer in a minute here, but there's an article, uh, from IGN where, um, Ryan Dins- uh, Dinsdale had a, a interview with the director of the game, Will Biles, who was talking about why this game is, a, a until dawn spiritual successor rather than a dark pictures anthology title and i thought it was interesting it was an, kind of an interesting di- um distinction uh so i wanted to to just read this quote from him and then we can you know chat about it a little bit um but so so he went on and said dark pictures is obviously an anthology and has gone down a shared story route and a shorter format with a higher cadence uh it's a lovely smorgasbord of horror 
And there's like a little bit of uh, an aside here from Ryan where he's kind of contextualizing some of his other quotes where he said, this means Supermassive has a lot more freedom and can pull from a wide variety of genres. Of course, right? Um, But then with like Until Dawn, you know, obviously, like we said, it's got like the classic teen slasher kind of approach. It's a little bit different. And, you know, he was kind of explaining why that feels different to them. Um, Because they're they're leaning more into horror tropes and things like that. So he says, for this teen horror, it's not a set profile, but there's a certain expectation. It's a lot lighter. It's got a lot of that weird self-referential thing like Scream, where we all know the rules. And the rules are, don't open the door. Or when there's a trap door with a noise behind it, leave it alone. And I, I, I thought that was interesting, because I think that was something that I really, really liked about Until Dawn. And I think it's something that, yeah, you know they're all morons. They're going to do it regardless. Yeah, right. Like, and- you're making the choices on this one character right now, but everyone else is a fucking idiot, and they're just going to carry on doing what they're going to do. Yeah, and like I liked that. Like I liked the fact that it it knew what it was, and it was trying to lean into that, you know. And like it was trying to present, you know, this like campy, tropey vibe. You know, and like that made it feel unique. It still had good horror energy, but like, I don't know. It, it, I think it gave it this level of personality that I just haven't really gotten from the dark picture stuff quite as much. Yeah. Maybe you just like that type of thing better, right? You like that kind of movie better than classic horror. I don't know. I also think another big thing that they're not going to say in an IGN interview is that it's not published by Bandai Namco, who has exclusive rights to the Dark Pictures anthology and it's been published by 2K Games. So I'm sure that has some kind of business aspect to it as well that they they published with a different publisher rather than Bandai. It's interesting too because I know with The Quarry, one of the other things that is similar to Until Dawn is that it has actors in it. Right, like it has like Hollywood actors, and you know, um, it does seem like it's going to be longer based on that quote saying that like the dark picture stuff is shorter. So, I'm wondering if like they have a bigger budget, right, and like more time and can put more uh into it in the way they did with Until Dawn. Um, which we'll talk about. I wonder, I wonder why they went with 2K rather than Bandai if they already had that relationship. There's already another, there's already another, um, game due out in 2022 for the Dark Pitch Sons. And that's the end of the first volume, right? And they, they announced they're going to do another six of them. Yeah. Another season. So, yeah. I don't know. It's, it's a strange one. It's a strange one. Maybe they just had an idea for another game. It didn't fit into the Dark Pictures anthology. They had another team that wanted to build something out and flesh something out, and they, they kind of ran with it and shopped it around, and 2K was the one that bit. Yeah, and, and I mean, it, again, right, like maybe Bandai Namco, because I mean, not not to, you know, Bandai Namco is smaller, right? Like 2K is a massive company um, with a lot of of money. So well, yeah, they're owned by Take Two. So right, they, they're, it's the the sister publisher to to Rockstar, which right. is like arguably the biggest in the in the industry. Yeah, so like the idea that this game, you know, is is potentially like oh, and we do have a release date here. I, I closed out the trailer right before they showed it. It's June tenth. Um, so really, like right around the corner, which is kind of crazy. But yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I'm wondering if that's the thought process there, right? Is like that they wanted to do something more in that tone, and it's like they're already committed to how many games with Bandai Namco, right? Where it's like 
doesn't make sense for them to like I, like does Bandai Namco want to be in the we're going to put out multiple super massive games a year business maybe not right um because they're already doing one a year that's a lot right they they they're pretty committed to to working with them so yeah i don't know it's interesting Espe- especially when like I don't know who came up with the name, but like Bandai Namco said in an interview with GamesIndustry.biz back in 2020, apparently that um, it's been hard to to market because it's been labeled an anthology series, and I don't think people really understand what that is. And like at the time, I feel like that was a huge thing on TV, right? But what was the one with Lady Gaga in? Like um, American Horror Story. American Horror Story that that was the anthology series it was it was like hype at the moment Everyone yeah and, um, every single series like Black Mirror same ensemble cast yeah Black Mirror and, and like people knew what they were and it made sense and those have sort of gone by the wayside on TV and in other mediums so maybe people don't understand that in video games that yeah you're going to come back and it's going to be the same cast and they're just going to be doing different roles and it's a totally different story but that's just what it is and it's also funny because it's like not even that either right like it's it's an anthology but like really the only thing that connects them is the like the narrator character the guy that looks like david bowie yeah that's talking in the in the library it's kind of weird yeah i don't know i i maybe that's the thing too like maybe they want to get away from the dark pictures anthology a little bit because like it's been successful enough that they're going to do more of them right so like it's obviously not a bust but i it obviously hasn't been I think the critical or commercial success that like that they were probably hoping for, right? So like mm-hmm. maybe this is the idea to like invoke the until dawn name, do something a little bit bigger, a little bit more focused. You've got, you know, like a bunch of, you know, fairly notable celebrities in it. Um that helps get some attention to it. You know, it's like I I don't know. Like maybe maybe that's their hope is that this can be something that will, will hit a little bit bigger and and cast a wider net and maybe that brings more attention on the dark pictures anthology or or whatever, right? But it's it's definitely interesting. Like it's this is not one I would have predicted. But I am really no, excited for it. No way. You know, like I I, I am too. Like uh, of all of the one all of that games I played this was Until Dawn was my absolute favorite. It's by far their best game. Um, and, and I, um, I have enjoyed the, the dark picture games that I have played. Like I haven't played the latest one, but, um, uh, maybe I'll, maybe I'll check that out before I, I check this out. But if this is out in June, I kind of feel like it's the perfect time for it as well. Like the summer, summer blockbuster horror movie. It was like always a thing. It's one of the out. two times that you are, that I'm always in the mood for horror movies. It's either summer yeah. or it's October. Yeah. Yeah. Halloween. Yeah. You know, it's crack them out. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to this one. You know, I like for as much as Supermassive has has um to your point, right? Like had kind of an uneven career. I really like what they do. You know, I I like this kind of game a lot and I want there to be more AAA studios that make games like this. So, you know, they're they're a studio I keep rooting for even when they don't always hit the mark, you know. Yeah, I mean, I really feel like Sony dropped the ball with them, like 100%. They had them, they were basically an exclusive studio for Sony, a support studio for all those years. They let them do something really cool with Until Dawn. I presume they pushed them to do the Playlink stuff before promptly abandoning that awful technology. And then they decided to go their own way. And and do their own own games on uh, and published on multiple platforms. Where I think if Sony could have 
kind of captured them and been like, right, Hidden Agenda wasn't great. It didn't it didn't um, hit our expectations, but Until Torn was an absolute success, and let's keep doing that rather than saying, right, now do a PlayStation VR game. Now do a PlayLink game. You know, let them do what they were good at, which was clearly Until Dawn-style games. Yeah, and I mean, that's that's the thing that I, I think is the most frustrating. Like, it's I think it's a clear example of Sony, like, not realizing what they had and, like, kind of mismanaging the studio a little bit. Because, like... You know, I don't know. I I'd be interested to see. Let's see what the sales were. So, you know, I mean, it, it sold. It seems like it sold pretty well. It was the second best selling retail game in the UK the week it came out. It was the seventh best selling game in the US. Like, it seems like it did pretty well. Um, but yeah, I mean, it it definitely was a game that that had a lot of you know, a lot of potential, I think, from, uh, like, from the, the perspective of, like, a studio that could grow, right? Like, the game had a, a pretty solid critical reception, right? Nine, 79 on Metacritic, it's it's not the best. I think that's actually a little low, um, personally, but... Oh, you're muted. The other games are hitting, like, 74, 76. Yeah. So it's not too far out of, of where it where it would be but but point being right that game came out in 2015 and then for the next three years while they were working with still working with playstation like they exclusively worked on you know gimmick games right like stuff for vr yeah. like hidden agenda which like you said was tied to the whole PlayLink initiative it's not until uh man of Madon in 2019 that they got to make a game that was actually like a successor to until dawn. And it's like, a, that's a pretty long gap. Right. And like how much talent got turned over in that time period. Like, you know, I don't know. And then I think when you look at, and and this is a good segue into our exclusive conversation. uh, When you look at until dawn and how it looked, how it performed the cast, all that stuff. I think that that came from having the financial backing of PlayStation and only having to develop the game on one platform. Whereas like you look at Man of Madon now, they're putting out like a game a year for three to five platforms, right? It's they're putting it on PlayStation, Xbox, PC. Wasn't the first one on Stadia or something like. Yeah, I mean, Stadia is technically PC because it runs on on Linux PCs, so they could potentially just be running on that as well. But I think really it's the timescale of how short they have to make those games. Yeah, You've got a year to turn one around, and even if they've got two teams and it's taken them two years for each one and pushing it out, it's still a very short time period. And again, that would be easier to do if you're doing it exclusively, right? Like if they were only developing these games for the PS5, right? You could put out a game probably yeah. at that clip, and, well, and I imagine be... Sony's got a bunch of support studios that they could just pull in and go right, help, help get Until Dawn two across the finish line. Sure, yeah, and and I think that's a huge, it's a huge bummer that that relationship ended the way that it did, and that Sony never made the offer to bring them in house because I feel like Sony like never let them be the studio that they were or that they wanted to be. Uh, they did like once, and it worked, and it was the most successful thing they've ever done. Right. And since then, it feels like they've been kind of trying to cement them, cement their uh, identity as a studio, you know, as like the studio that puts out like a premier horror product every year. And, I, you know, to mixed results. But I can't help but think that I wish it wouldn't. I wish it wasn't always horror as well. Like I love 
what they do. And I love the fact that you can play all these as co-op now, because I obviously couldn't do that with Until Dawn, but now you can play online with co-op and different people play the different different characters at the same time and you see branching stories. Yeah. Like you could do that with sci-fi, you could do that with fantasy. You could do it just with an action game, with drama. There's any genre of movie you could really like bring down and, and do into this. Um, and it doesn't have to be horror every single time. I think that was what was so cool about <clears throat> the Telltale games at like their peak, right? Where it's like they kind of established what the new formula was with Walking Dead. And then everything was totally different, right? Like they picked all these really different IP and tried to you know, adapt their style to those, those other, uh, genres and to mixed results, you know? Um, but when it hit, it hit. Right. And like, it would be nice to see Supermassive have that ability to be a little bit more, um, free, I guess, but maybe that's what they want to do. Right. Like maybe they're, they horrors their thing because that's what they're passionate about, you know? And like, I'm cool with that. You know, I respect it. Um, I just, I want to see them hit the highs that I think they hit with Until Dawn. And hopefully, you know, the quarry is an opportunity to do that. Um, It definitely seems interesting to me. And it's one I'm going to be keeping an eye out for. All right. So let's jump into our talking point for the week, which is uh, all about exclusives. And I guess kind of the question of what is going to be the role of exclusives moving forward? You know, and like, are, are they in jeopardy of going extinct even? Uh, so this all comes from... I, I sure hope so, personally. I don't want exclusives. I think they're toxic for consumers. I really do. I don't I don't think they serve a good purpose. Well, uh, we'll have to talk about that. I don't I don't know that I agree. Um, I, I think uh, I think there's an argument to be made. So this all came from a question that we got from uh, the again, the man who gave you life, Mr. Andy Radford who wrote in and said, are we slowly seeing the decline of exclusive games? Jim Ryan, head of Sony Interactive Entertainment, recently expressed that he would like to see Sony games become more accessible to a much larger audience of players. And Microsoft claims it will keep Call of Duty on PlayStation in line with existing agreements and quote-unquote into the future as it moves to continually support both Sony and Nintendo's platforms. But what are the benefits and disadvantages of exclusive games? It seems that both Microsoft and Sony see the end in sight, so that begs the question, why buy one console over the other? So I I think... Like, go ahead. Like one of the reasons to buy console always used to be your friends bought it, right? And that's why I play the games. Like my friends buy PlayStation, so I buy PlayStation so I can play Call of Duty with them. Mm-hmm. And if they buy Xbox, I buy Xbox because I want to play with my friends. Cross-platform, pushed by Epic Games and Fortnite, really kind of eroded that. And so that's no longer necessary for people to to buy into a certain ecosystem. I can log on to Fortnite on my on my phone, and I can play with someone who's on Switch or on PC or on Xbox or PlayStation. It doesn't it doesn't matter, and that's really how it should be. It should be platform agnostic. And exclusives are there a hundred percent just to tie you to that platform, right? You just I want to play the latest Uncharted. And I know where that's going to be. It's going to be on PlayStation 5 or Horizon Forbidden West, for example. It's on PlayStation 5 and I can only play it there unless I have a PC. And then it's probably going to come later because Sony's obviously got their big PlayStation on PC initiative. They bought Nixies to help with all the porting of the games. And so 
I think that's the only reason that that you would buy one console over another at this point. The, the hardware is basically identical. Like maybe you prefer one controller over another, but I don't think that that's really going to sway one person to one console or, or another. What's really probably going to sway you is I really love Forza or I really love like narrative driven games that Sony offers me. Right. And so, if that goes, then what, what does, what is there to, to drive you? I guess it's just loyalty of the brand. Yeah, but I don't or even I don't even think it's that simple because like they're really not. I don't think they're as analogous as people say, right? Like performance wise, that's true. Um, like a third party the game is literally identical. Like the yeah, but stuff the... that's like the PlayStation games in the cloud are running on Xboxes. It's in Microsoft data centers. They have a partnership with Microsoft. It runs on those consoles. Right, but but nobody cares about that, right? Like that's not. No, no one does care. Well, but so let me make my point. The difference is the services and the experience you have on that ecosystem. And those are very different, right? Like the PlayStation and the Xbox are not similar in terms of like... At, at the moment, but like if Spartacus comes in, they're pretty much on par at that point, right? I mean, PlayStation still wouldn't have Quick Resume. That's no, a huge difference. And they still wouldn't have smart delivery. And it, still have, and it still doesn't have VRR, which is problematic, especially when, you know, you've got games like Elden Ring that can't hit a stable frame rate. And that really does. That really is a nice quality of life thing. It's so, nice to have. so and I think yeah, PlayStation still sells better than Xbox. Yeah, and that's and it because has to be because of the exclusives and the brand loyalty that they've built up. Over mm-hmm. years. Yeah, and and I don't think I, I don't agree with the sentiment that exclusives are toxic. Um, I just don't. I think that like so you were. I know. I know. Sometimes you think that, but sometimes like when. Spider-Man was behind a paywall and it was only available on PlayStation platforms in Marvel's Avengers. Avengers. Yeah. It's like, that's ridiculous. Why? Yeah, so that, like, I don't think that's the same thing, though. Stupid. Right? That's an exclusive piece of content. I don't like that. I don't like anything that splits player bases in that way. Like, that was a problem with, like, Destiny, for example, right? Where, like, um, the DLC, there were certain DLC that came to PlayStation first, and by the time it came to Xbox, it was like obsolete. And you know, yeah, it was a big thing with Activision back then. They did it with all the Call of Duty games as well. Right, like they had all the co-branding with PlayStation. It was like a huge deal that they'd made. Right, and you know, obviously that behooves Sony, like from a business perspective, that's smart for them to do because you want to, you know, uh, engender that loyalty to the PlayStation brand because it's the better place. It was a cheaper console. It ran things a little bit better. It had exclusive content. Like, those were all good selling points for the PlayStation 4. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, from a business perspective, it's obvious why, you know, a platform holder would want to engage with that kind of thing, right? You want to make your box the most attractive place to play. Um, I, I, you know, I think that's business, right? Like, that to me is not really, like, relevant in terms of, like, when we're talking about exclusive games, right? Content, I'm with you. I don't. I don't think that that benefits anybody but the platform holder um, and fanboys, right? And like that's not, you know. So what? Um, but to to argue that any exclusive game is like that that you know is toxic because it like limits consumer choice or something like that, I just don't agree. Um, because then it you're only looking at it through the lens of the of like the sale and it ignores the the point that i was just making about until dawn in that making a game for one platform specifically leads to a higher quality game period um and that's not like i don't necessarily agree with that either because like look at say for example death loop we know that that will run on xbox and probably already does and it runs on pc and it was on 
I think Stadia or at least Amazon's service. Like all of that, and that's a high quality game. Okay, but made yeah, by Bethesda, right? But high quality isn't peak quality, right? Like, look at something like The Last of Us Part Two. They would not have been able to reach that level of depth of like quality of that game if they had to make it for multiple platforms. And also, I don't think it's even necessarily fair to I, make I, the example also, of Deathloop. I also don't agree with that, especially considering the hardware now is so similar. Yeah, I but really I mean, think you could do it. Like considering it's basically the same chips in both. I I don't I think that that like that I don't think that argument tracks though, because that's like arguing that like it's as simple as being like, yep, compile the PlayStation version. Yep, compile the Xbox version. Like it's not that simple. It, it, from, from if it was, though, that's the basically what, where we've got to. Like if you're in say, yeah, but Unreal if that Engine was the case, Unity, then that, that's where it is, right? Yeah, but but, but it's not though, because if that was the case, then every game would run the same on both pieces of hardware, and they don't. Like why? Like you just brought up the example of the PlayStation Five not having RFF, right? Or no, VRR. Uh, VRR sorry, yeah. um, that means that the game runs that's better a, on Xbox. System, yeah, that's a system level feature, which is coming to PlayStation. By the way, it's probably it, it's probably coming in the next few weeks at this point because um, Sony's finally got their act together and have rolled it out to their TVs. Um, but. Uh, I don't know. I think the differences between them are so minimal now. And I just, I can't see a reason why it couldn't run on both if they, if they wanted to invest it's, the time. It's not a matter of and, if it can't, it's a matter of you would have to make compromises, right? Like if you're making two concurrent versions of the game, that means you have less time to spend on polish and squashing bugs and X, Y, and Z because you have to get those resources from somewhere, right? Unless you just spend more money and more time to make a second version of the game, you know, like that. It's I, which is a possibility, which is something that you know that's a business decision, right? At that point, it's do we spend time because they are spending time to make PC ports mm-hmm. and really good PC ports of all of these games. Like they make they've made God of War a fantastic PC port. It's one of the highest rated games on Steam. Is in the top 250 games on Steam. Yeah, it came out three years later, though. Yeah, it came out three years later, but there's no reason that they couldn't do that with Xbox games. Like, they could say, right, God of War is now on PC, and three years later is also on Xbox. I think it is something that's possible, and it is something that is viable. Like, they've bought an entire support studio with Nixies just to help them and assist them in doing that, presumably in parallel with development of their PlayStation games. Yeah, absolutely. Right, let's get this out. At some point, I really think we're going to get to day and date with some of their games. Probably multiplayer games, the live service games. I could really see them bringing those to PC at the same time yeah. as they bring them to to PlayStation. But then they, maybe that's when they that. use maybe that's when they use Bungie as the publisher, and they don't want the PlayStation branding on it. And they go right, this is a Bungie game, so we let them put it anywhere, and they can put it on Xbox, and they can put it on PC. They're an autonomous developer and, and self publisher. I don't know. It's 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 a tough one. Uh, I I I see your argument for for having exclusives. You can invest more time. You can delay them indefinitely. You can give the time and the resources to the studio. And in Microsoft's case, for example, they don't really care if it doesn't sell because it sells Game Pass subscriptions. So they can do these more niche games that wouldn't necessarily sell as well. And that's and, the thing, right? If you're putting them out multi-platform, then they need you need to justify that, 
right? And like it changes the way that you look at what projects get greenlit. It changes the way that you think about like, and that's the other thing is I think exclusives also like create a culture around the box, right? Around the brand of like, you know, and this actually takes it's us. It's a good culture, though. Like sometimes it is a it is a bad culture that surrounds those those boxes with the exclusives and the like. Oh, this is that, and this is that. Before we get onto onto Murphy's point, like just so I don't forget it. Oh yeah, sorry. I, I, I think some games, right, are are like that. That yeah, you know, this needs the finesse. This needs the polish. This wouldn't have really come out. It's a niche game. The only reason this has succeeded is because it has a platform holder behind it. Some games like Starfield, I don't think there is any reason that needs to be a, an Xbox exclusive game other than the fact that it's going to sell Xboxes. That's the only reason. I think they've probably already got a PlayStation version of that running. They probably ha- were developing it for PlayStation prior to Microsoft acquiring them. Yeah. And they just abandoned that and have, and have just said, right, we're not even bothering. We're just going to make this an Xbox game. And... And I don't think that's good. I think that's terrible. I, th- I really do. I think it's doing fans a disservice. Like people love Bethesda games. People are excited for it. The next Elder Scrolls is probably going to be Xbox only. And that's terrible because people that love Skyrim and only have a PlayStation aren't going to get to experience that game. Yeah. And I think, I think that that is, it's tough because that's like a different conversation, right? Because like that's Xbox or Microsoft more aptly, uh, being able to throw their weight around as a billion dollar company and, and, you know, just acquire uh, a staple publisher and say like, Hey, you're in house now. And like, that's it. Um, You know, we've talked that to death, right? Like there's pros and cons that come with that too. Right. Because like, you can look at like a studio like arcane, which makes critically acclaimed games that don't really sell that well. And like their future is probably secure now. Right. Cause like, they can make games that will be critical, critical darlings and get people to try out, try them out on game pass and they don't need to sell as well as Starfield. Like that's okay. Um, so, you know, it's not all doom and gloom, but I also wouldn't necessarily argue that that's a good thing, but I look at the way that like Sony's done it or the way that Nintendo's done it. And like, I can't, I can't see a disadvantage to that. Right. Cause like, you know, and maybe this is like callous, maybe this is like a privileged position, but to be like, the disadvantage is that somebody who owns an Xbox can't play PlayStation games. It's like, well, buy a fucking PlayStation then. I don't know. Like, if you care about that software, yeah, but, then... But to my dad's point, though, right? He mentioned that Jim Ryan doesn't like that. He wants to get the games in front of more people and sure. more eyes and more places. So obviously, Sony are looking at it and going, right, we need to sell more games. But the software is yeah. probably... But what does that mean? Yeah, the levels we want to. But I would imagine he's looked at the balance and gone, fuck me, these games cost bazillions to make and we're not chipping anywhere near the level of what we want off of the, off of the cost, right? And so let's put out PC ports. And I think rather than putting it on other platforms, he's talking about streaming service and getting it on phones and doing the whole X cloud thing. Or again, Stadia. the PC thing, right? Which is like, we've shown that. I think that example is a great one because it's like, you are getting it in front of more players. You are selling millions more copies on steam um, to an audience that, you know, historically, right? Like PC players play on PC, you know, um, there are people who are platform agnostic and own, a PC and a couple consoles or, or whatever. Right. And like that happens, but you know, I think by and large 
you can put that game out three years later on the PC and it's like it's not hurting you at that point, right? You're not limiting how much God of War is going to impact PlayStation sales. And that, I think, is a model that makes sense for them. But the idea that like, oh, yeah, like they should put their games on like Xbox, for example, right? Just like because, right? Because everyone should be able to play every game everywhere. It's like, man, like. That's not that's not a market reality though, right? Like as much as, you know, we as players and as people who love games and love art, right? Like you want everyone to be able to try everything, but it's like, I mean shit, like PlayStation wants to sell boxes, right? And like there's nothing wrong with them having a stable of studios that they've cultivated over decades and helped support creating a culture that creates high quality award-winning games and being like this is what we sell right like that's fine i i think and i i i I really think that they're shifting though and you know i've we've spoken about this a million times before i don't think they're going to be in the box selling business forever clearly jim ryan thinks that they need some kind of service and and Spartacus looks to be their solution to that, right? Yeah, I don't think and those things are mutually exclusive, though. Like, I, I, I don't either. I think there'll always be a box for someone who's an enthusiast, but I don't think in the future it's going to sell anywhere near the numbers that it does at the moment because you'll be able to just open up the PlayStation app on your Sony TV and you'll be able to connect up a controller and you'll be able to play PlayStation. I don't agree. Right just like on your Samsung TV, you can boot up the Xbox app and you can play Xbox games. And yeah, but they don't the run well. Like, it's like... At the moment, but in seven years' time, when we're talking about a next generation of console, I think they will run well. Because people have faster internet connections. Streaming services will have improved. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, still, don't, I still don't agree with that. Like, I think that that argument is, like, a very, like... It's one that we've seen come up the last two generations and it's been not only wrong, it's been dead wrong every single time, right? Like in the PlayStation three, Xbox 360 era, I remember so many. That was mobile though. That, that was, that no, was no, 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 thing, right? no, 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 Like there was a whole, and yes, that was part of that happened during that generation. But I remember at the end of that generation, right? Like when the PS4 and Xbox one were first getting talked about before we had even seen them, all that kind of stuff. I remember so many journalists and pundits being like, this is going to be the last generation of consoles. Oh, yeah, After this, too, we're yeah. going to have one monolithic set-top box and you'll have uh, a PlayStation app or an Xbox app and blah, 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 blah. We're, and we were fucking nowhere near that then. And in fact, the last generation of consoles sold better than the previous generation. And that's because video gaming is only becoming more popular. And more ubiquitous. And I think that the idea that eventually, right? I'm not saying forever, right? But in the near, in the immediate future, right? That we're going to get away from boxes. That boxes are going to start to be less popular. I don't see any evidence to support that. The PlayStation 5 and the Xbox Series X have broken sales records. They can't keep them on shelves. And granted, there's chip shortages and all that that plays into that as well. But they wouldn't be breaking records the way in which they're breaking records if there wasn't demand for the product. And I think that, personally, my my theory is that I think you're right that in five, seven years' time, whatever, 
the apps and the controller connected to your Samsung smart TV or your LG or whatever the fuck, um, or you're doing it on your phone or you're doing it on your PC and you're all streaming them from the cloud. I think that will be a lot more common. I think it'll be a legitimate option, but I don't think that it's going to, I don't think that you're going to uh, just eliminate the hardcore enthusiast market no, I don't, that likes the hardware. Enthusiast market, I don't think is going to go. And that's but I think that market's going to just grow, and I think you're going to just I have casual players got, who play on the you app. Just got to look at like the Series X versus the Series S sales. The Series S far outsells the Series X, and yes, that's because they've made more of them. But people still want to buy them because it's cheaper and it's an easier point of entry, and they can just pick them up. And play FIFA and play the play Call of Duty, play the two games they want to play. If they didn't need to buy a box and all they do every now and again is on Friday nights with their friends, they play FIFA or they play Call of Duty and they just hop on. And all I've got to do is buy an Xbox controller in order to do that and I can just connect it to my TV. Why wouldn't I? If I'm an enthusiast, yeah, of course, I'm going to spend shitloads on hardware because that's what we do. We're, we're nerds. We buy... We buy hardware. We listen to podcasts about video games. This is our culture. But if you're just the average Joe who just wants to play the odd video game every now and again, which is probably what the majority of the sales of consoles are, we know every year that the top-selling games are sports games and Call of Duty. I think that that will be catered for by streaming services, and I don't think that people will need to buy dedicated hardware in order to play those those games. I think you're right, but I don't think that that means that that, that, means that, that number gets smaller. Right, like it might say the same, or it might get slightly bigger instead of the same level of growth that we've seen. But I don't think that that eliminates those people. I think that there are still more people getting into the hobby who are gonna come at it from the "I want the best performance." I want you know, and and again, not like the the best, right, with a PC, but like I want better performance because I know, like, like personally, I. I think we're probably over a decade away from a world where I could stream a video game the entire way through and think that it's a a, a good experience personally. I think you, I think I could probably manage it if I had a, a a stable internet connection like you. But you don't. And I was doing it on a smaller screen. And you live right? in you live in one of the most developed countries in the world and you don't have good internet. I have friends who live in New York City, which is one of the biggest cities in the world, and they don't have good internet. And the internet infrastructure is garbage. When I was in college, when all of this shit was getting off the ground and PlayStation bought Gaikai and they're like, the fucking future of games is cloud gaming. I couldn't even watch Netflix in two rooms at the same time. And I lived in fucking New Jersey on the East Coast where we have great internet connection by and large, right? But like, that's not a reality for most people. And we're not even close to that. And there are a ton of markets where there's bad internet and that's not an option. And I, Which has always been my argument for physical games, and you've always said, always been like, you gotta go digital, you gotta go digital, and I'm just like, no, I can't because downloads are, are unrealistic sucks. for you, and my, and, yeah, and downloads take forever, and and even updates take forever, right? It took me. So in what 10 universe? To in Verizon. what universe do you think that your internet gets good enough that you could just stream games 100 percent when 5G rolls out later this year and I get 300 megabits a second down? Like I'll be able to do it. It's no, it's no issue. Like five G is due in my area this year. My current home connection is on four G. As soon as five G rolls out, I will be able to do it. There's no, there's no doubt in my mind that with three hundred meg down, I'll be able to easily stream a game. I guess. 
I don't know. And then it's like, you also like think about like the culture of the way in which people interact with video games now. And it's like, so how good does your internet have to be for you to be streaming a game from the cloud? And then you're also streaming it to Twitch. But that was the whole Stadia thing, right? And that's what the Amazon Prime services. Yeah, and those don't work. Is that you? Is that you can stream to those services without needing to be online, and you can stream, I think, from Xbox Cloud. I'm not sure, but I know you can from the Xbox dashboard now. You can stream directly to Twitch, and with like this new Streamlabs service, you can add all of your overlays. You can do mm-hmm. all of that stuff without even needing a desktop. It's like it's awesome, and and there's there's no reason we couldn't get to that point. Like rather than the rather than the stream coming down to my house and I play the game here and then I send it back up to another data center somewhere and that streams from there. It just streams from data center to data center. It's like, here's the video footage. Here's the feed for that. Here's the footage from my camera. And you just, it just streams, right? Yeah. And Microsoft could have done that with Mixer, but they shut it down. And and maybe that was a bad call on, on their part, or maybe they should just team it with Twitch again. Because um, they used to have a really great Twitch experience on Xbox One with the like snap system on the left. You remember when you could like have the picture in picture mode and like yeah, snap it on that to the yeah. right hand side? It was so fucking good. And now you can't do any of that stuff. And we've got more powerful consoles that could absolutely handle it. Also, I uh, just wanted to clarify something. I found an article. This is from November 2021, where it says that the Xbox Series X is outselling the Series X in several key markets, but by and large, they're about 50 50 in major territories. So just to clarify. I think Daniel Ahmed was was tweeting the other other week and was saying that the Series S is outselling. It might just have been the UK, but um, he seems to think it's because they can make more of them because it's a smaller chip mm-hmm. in there and it's a lot easier for them to produce rather than having... Because when you make chips, there's like a percentage that fails and they can then use those chips that don't pass a certain threshold on the other console because they only need a portion of the of the silicon rather than the whole thing. Um, so it's a lot easier for them to manufacture them. It's also like the half the price. So- <laughs> and it's also half the price. And you get it with Game Pass and it's like a fucking steal. Yeah. You know, it works out like $20 a I'll month. I'll tell you what, to buddy. The two together. I almost bought one the other day. Uh, oh my God. It was on sale for like 250 bucks, And I was like, oh, that would be so oh, nice. That's such a good that would be so nice yeah, for the really streaming good. room. <laughs> you know. Um, so, you know, I think the... The last, I guess to put a, a, a pin on this, right? Um, we had a comment here from Matthew Murphy who wrote in and said, for me, Nintendo's exclusives are for their incredible roster of characters and IP and Sony for the constant pursuit of next level graphics and gaming capabilities. Haven't played or bought an Xbox since Skyrim came out, but nothing outside of the recent acquisitions makes me consider them. So, so the acquisitions, right? So I wonder if Elder Scrolls Six is going to make Murphy buy a... Maybe, right? Or, or, you know, um, Starfield later this year. Yeah, uh, Starfield. And, and that's that's something that I think, like, right, at the end of the day, I, I think that that is the ultimate reason that exclusives can't and won't go anywhere. Um, it's because, and, like, you look at, <laughs> you look at uh, Epic, right? The Epic Game Store has exclusives, you know? Um, it's not limited to, to hardware, and I think as long as... Xbox and PlayStation and Nintendo remain independent, um, even if they stop selling hardware and they move to like a cloud app situation or something like that. They're always going to have exclusives, right? Um, it it works, right? Like you look at any other medium, 
um it works that way yeah, right like if you, you want know, to read I go to disney plus to watch marvel movies right and netflix has the latest version the latest season of orange is the new black or whatever the fuck they're pumping mm-hmm. out these days and and it it works it does work um but there are other ways to keep people on your platform as well right you know the reason we all shop at amazon is convenience it's simple i can buy prime and i know it comes to my house like there are other solutions it doesn't always have to be exclusive games i think you can add value in other ways i think that's what xbox has been doing with games yeah with services they, did, they didn't have a, a plethora of, of of exclusive games which they're now building up with all of the studios they've acquired and they've done it through services it's the reason i picked up an xbox i managed to get a deal on on prime day years and years ago i bought a one s with game pass and like an extra controller for like 200 quid and i was like yeah i'll give it a whirl and i instantly had tons of games i'd never played because i never had an xbox one mm-hmm. and it was it was a great experience and and again i think with um that's the reason i bought an xbox with services and we've talked about this with with, with the switch right the switch is valuable in the marketplace because it's unique uh, it's the only handheld system. It's the only hybrid system on the market, right? Like that makes it a unique value proposition. So yeah, there are other ways, but I also think um, that those are things that like th- they matter a lot. But I think the idea of having like you know uh, legacy IP and these things that you can like build, you know, uh, a community around that that's like that's a huge part of the way in which brands establish themselves, right? Is like being the location for a thing, right? Um, If you want to read Spider-Man, right? You got to go to Marvel, you know? And like that creates an identity, right? And like if you're a PlayStation fan, right? You identify with a certain kind of game. If you're a Nintendo fan, you identify with a certain kind of game. And I think that... You know, you can you can chalk that up to being console war shit, to being marketing, to being not important, all that stuff. But I I ultimately think that having those exclusives and those exclusive value propositions, whether it's software, hardware, whatever, those are the things that strengthen the PlayStation brand or the Nintendo brand or the Xbox brand. And you want those brands to be strong because the fact that we have those three pillars is why you have so much choice. And why you can argue about which way you want to play games and who has the best value prop for you. And I like this kind of game, so this is who I go with. I think if every platform just had the exact same offerings, you might get to a a situation where it's not viable for there to be three different competitors in the marketplace. Because they don't have any differentiators. Mm -hmm. And that's not good. And in the same way that you said that... But again, that's like the difference between exclusive games being the only differentiator at the moment, right? And and I don't think they are, because like you said, the the Switch is very different. I think you can discount that. There's there's no way Xbox or PlayStation are servicing that market right now. They're not doing handheld consoles. The only way you can play PlayStation games handheld is on a Steam Deck, which is just wild. (laughs) That's the literal only way you can play God of War on on the go. Uh, but I, I don't know. I think services is really going to be the way they compete moving forwards. And yes, exclusives come into those services. We want to sell you these subscriptions. And in order to do that, we've got Forza. We've got Uncharted. Um, one thing we haven't really touched on is we've looked at their own exclusive like internal games. But like, how do you feel about third-party exclusives? Like um babylon's fall for example terrible example because it's a terrible game apparently but yeah but that's it's like bloodborne or like life. persona yeah. right i mean it's like i don't know though right because it's like if, if playstation didn't pay for that game does bloodborne exist i don't know 
right? Like, and well, if- like we don't know the situation with Shin Megami Tensei, and we don't know the situation with Monster Hunter, and we don't know the situation with Persona as to why those games, like, what was the financial incentive for them not to put them on other platforms at yeah. that point? Because everyone wants Persona 5 on switch and you know that's a difference where microsoft and and sony really kind of diverge a little bit i think microsoft don't have never seen nintendo as a threat to their core business and they're willing to put some of their other games on there that will run you know ori's on there for example cuphead's on there but even though persona 5 could run on switch because it ran on ps3 and shimigami tensei runs fine i don't think sony will ever give atlas permission to put it on there not if it's in their control exclusive rights and and that's the thing right though is like you know i don't know like i think that the idea that that's inherently bad is is like i don't i don't it's a business thing right but but it's i don't like it as a consumer though but i i also don't think it's just a business thing because like it is but like i think if if the only differentiators are like service-based or hardware-based right then like you run into a scenario where Xbox could easily bully other people out of the market because Microsoft has more money, right? Like if Microsoft wanted to, they could be like, uh, we're going to sell a console that is 0.5 more powerful than PlayStation and we'll eat shit on the sales just to force them out of the market because we yeah. can afford to lose money on this for five, 10 years and they can't. That's, that's not their problem though. That's a regulatory issue and that's for your government to step in and say, Hang on a second. Yeah, but no, but that's but that's my whole point, though, right? Is right now with the the strength of exclusives is that differentiators can be creative and artistic, and like that's something that I don't care how much money Xbox spends, they can't they can't do what PlayStation does at the level PlayStation does right now, right? They can't they can't match it, and it's great that like you know they are trying to develop their own stable of exclusives but what they have is different than what playstation has and it's different than what nintendo has and i think that them all doing their own thing is only like that gives you more consumer choice and it makes for a healthier marketplace of ideas and of ip and of like places you can go to shop your idea around you know um i think that that's a positive thing i do and it does it does suck for the consumer that can't afford them all but yeah, it sucks for the consumer. I don't think there's necessarily an, an o- as open a door as you think there is. I think you kind of need to be one of those internal studios in order to really get the the level that you require. Yeah, Microsoft has like ID at Xbox, but I don't think you get anywhere near the level of support you would as if whether you're an internal studio, if you're like a third party just sure. shipping things around. You go to one of the other publishers, I think, if you're a third party looking for it, you know, you go to a Devolver Digital if you're a smaller studio, or you go to a Square Enix if you're like a Platinum Games or something. But um, yeah, I mean, I I, I, I think we're just going to have to disagree to disagree that I don't necessarily think exclusives are, are, are a good thing. And I can, I see them as like a business thing. I understand your point that, yeah, it gives creative differences, and I think there's arguments to be had in, on on both both sides of the fence, really. But I'm I'm curious what other people think. Me too. Definitely let us know. Yeah, because ultimately, I think you know, I I don't even necessarily disagree with what you're saying, but I think that like having a vibrant set of offerings helps when you have multiple major decision makers and mm-hmm. they all have different goals and different ideas about what a PlayStation game is versus what an Xbox game is and on and on, you know? Um, so I don't know. You know, I, I think, I think it's, it's not, 
it's not totally cut and dry. So I'm, I'm certainly interested to hear what other people think. Uh, but we're going to wrap it there for the day. Thank you for joining us here on another episode of the Flip Screen Games podcast. Thank you to everybody who wrote in. Thank you to our Patreon supporters and producers. Y'all are the best. Thank you for being a part of this show and for writing in with your thoughts and giving us main topics like this one. So if you want to have your thoughts read on the air, make sure you write in for the question block segment or hit us up with a talking point and maybe you could be the main topic on next week's show. So remember, there's a bunch of ways you can do that. Head over to flipscreen.games for all the ways you can get in touch with us, all the ways you can show your support. And until next week, I've been Pete. He's been Steve. We've been Flipscreen Games. We'll see you next week.